Well, it's time for us to get started because I thought I heard the first bell ring in the background while we were still out there in our service. So we're going to congratulate all of you for wanting to attend this uh, this class. You arrived. You have either decided. Uh, either start studying the Bible for some reason or you're looking for something in the throw of this course to help you in your studies. You know, this came as a result, as already been pointed out to you, as a result of the survey and uh, studying the Bible was just one of those things that most people said they uh, needed to do more. The membership stating that. So that was why this uh, uh, class was created, was to help maybe try to do something to help with that situation. Believe it or not, the Bible uh, itself gives us a good reason to study it. When we come to understand what the Bible is, what it has to say to us, we can even find more reasons then to open it up and start to study it. And we three elders that are teaching this class want to show you what, what the Bible is, um, what it truly has to say, how it came about, and we hope and believe uh, that this will give you even more, at least some motivation to study the Bible. Um, we also think it should raise your expectation of what you will gain when you will study the Bible. You know, listen, material, and I can tell you, this is probably one of the hardest classes I've ever had to try to assemble material for. I think if you heard that from Mitch, I know it's true for him, it's true for me, and it's true for Rick as well. I'm not going to go through it in a lot of detail. It was handed out last week, and is there anybody else that needs a copy of, of the material that was for today? That's right there. Anybody else? Is it, is it already in this book? It's, it, no, it, it was not already in the book. This was passed out um, last Sunday and was here Wednesday. You're good? Now, the material for next Sunday is here. Okay? It is, I'm going to say that again, it is here. So if you, it's stacked. All you got to do is there's only like three pages of material there, but if you will grab one as you exit today and put it in your booklet, you'll have it then uh, for next week. In the material that I created for today's class, and like I said, I'm not going to go over it in great detail. I asked a question. I want to ask you a question. So how valuable is the Bible to you? No, I said in that text that every book has value. Every book does have some form of value. Only you can answer the question, how valuable is this book to me? And how I place that value on the book then determines how I'm going to view it and how I'm going to treat it. Now I'm going to give you a confession. When I first became a Christian, I knew almost zip of the contents of this book. 
I knew that there was a sense of right and wrong. I believed that there was a God. And even once I became a Christian, I did not dive into this book and study it to great depth and detail. In fact, I didn't even prepare or answer the questions for each Sunday's lesson that was being taught. Peggy did. I didn't. The only thing that I was getting was what I was getting from the classes and from the lessons being presented by the preacher. There was a point in my life that I got challenged to teach. Teach? Me? I taught junior high class. That forced me to dive in a little deeper into the, the book and find out what was there. Of course, my life moved me around and I began to teach a lot. I enjoyed teaching. You know why I enjoy teaching? I love to learn. And then I like to share with my students what it is that I learn. Am I an expert? Do I have a book, chapter, and verse in this? I can tell you that's not me. I, I am not that kind of person. And we're going to talk about some of that too uh, in the future about that. The Bible is God's message to us. In its pages, God introduces himself to us, the reader. He displays all of his holiness. He displays all of his sovereignty. But at the same time, when we read and study this, we need to see something else. And what is it that we should see? Ourselves. We need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves that we are infected with sin. And without God's plan, without Him telling us what we need to do, we will be hopelessly cut off from Him. And that should move us. That should motivate us. We should not have any idea that we want to be cut off from God. I think it ties in very much with the lesson that we heard from Brian this morning, and we're probably going to hear some more later on. And I can tell you, that paints a terrible picture of us, doesn't it? Cut off from God, and yet responsible for the consequences of sin. Fortunately, the Bible doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just point that out. The continuing arc, the continuing narrative of the Bible is how God reaches out to us. How it reaches out to you individually. How it reaches out to us collectively. And it makes a way for us to come to know Him and to come to Him through who? Through Christ. Through Jesus. Through His sinless life and His payment of our sin debt. We did have a debt. He paid it, and He paid it in full. And that's God's message. And He wants us to know what He has to say. The Bible, however, is not a general message communicating broad concepts in nonspecific language. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me in the course of my life, I just don't understand it. Hmm. makes me think there's some other lying reasons for why that 
a person w would say that. You know, the Bible is very specific in what it says. And it matters a lot. It matters a lot. It's the Word of God throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. And in the Bible, it is referred back to us as the Word of God. <clears throat> there are many places in the Scripture you will see that. The Word of God. That is to say, <clears throat> the very words that God wanted to communicate to us, that's what they are. The very words that He wanted to communicate to us. And it's absolutely essential, essential, that one has to have both the belief and the conviction that this is what? Kind of book. An inspired book. What is inspiration? Well, somebody read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 for us. Anybody? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Whew. Now, l let me tell you this. When that was written, what constituted scripture? What scripture was being referred to there when he said all scripture? Exactly. This letter to Timothy was new. It hadn't been compiled into what we now call the New Testament. When did that occur? I'm sure Mitch covered that. When did the New Testament get compiled to what it is now before us today? Tom, I know you know. <laughs> Was about 326 A.D. Uh, 326. The, the first the first assemblage occurred about 225, but the canon of scripture as we know it today is, is later on in the fourth century. Yes. So now today we consider this to be all scripture, but when that was written, that is not what was in the mind of Paul to Timothy. But it it does give some very rich things. Who's what is it? Who is it given by? God. Given by God. Profitable for doctrine. What does that mean? Teaching. And in the teaching there is what? What's, what makes it profitable? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be some learning that goes on, right? So, reproof for correction. Ooh. Hey, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> but that's what it is. Reproof for correction. That means it's going to highlight to us things that are not acceptable to God. And when, when we see those, we should take action to not do those kinds of things. Instruction in righteousness. A key word that I see throughout the, the Bible, and, and Brian even touched on a few of those today, is justice and righteousness. Righteousness. Instruction. What does that mean? Instruction in righteousness. 
how to how to do it and do it in a manner in a, in a right way. If you put that together with Romans chapter one verse sixteen, for there speaking of the gospel, for therein the righteousness of God is revealed. So we have the righteousness of God, and then telling us how to match His righteousness. Very good point, and that's what we should see, and that's what we should be striving uh, individually, and also striving together. What? Collectively. I mean, that should be one of the whys of why we're here today. And it says, so that man may be complete, thoroughly equipped for some good works. So <clears throat> what it says, for every good work. And what constitutes good work? Once again, one has to dive um, into God's Word to see what that means. So what does the inspiration the expression inspired of God mean. The phrase comes from the Greek word theonustos. I think I've got that right. It's a compound word that consists of the elements theo, which means God, and nustos, which means what? So when you see the idea of inspired of God, what does that mean? This is breathed of God. <clears throat> it refers to that which is God-breathed. And thus, whatever is inspired of God has its origin in His mind, and it's in His mouth. It is the very Word of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Can I get someone to read verses 16 through 20? And, and so we're reading in the text here. Who's speaking these verses? Who's speaking here? These are the words of, of Jesus. I get someone to read verses 16 through 20. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. There's an example of inspiration right there in front of us. And that example tells us that inspiration is what? It's a process. It's a process. A process in which God uses a human being to convey what? His message. His message. His words to other men by speaking or by writing. When Jesus sent these out, how do you think those that were hearing his words were saying, I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves? What? You're sending me out where? <laughs> what would that do for you at that moment? 
I know what it would do for me. It would make me quake. I'm, I'm being sent. I don't know what I'm going to say. But what does the text say? God is going to lead you. Don't worry about what you need to say. God is going to tell you what needs to be said. Hmm. Now put yourself in this recipient of that message. How would you have reacted? What does it take personally to be able to accept that message? Faith. Tremendous amount of faith. Tremendous amount of faith, because that's what the action would require, is to go out in faith and know that God is going to give these words. You're going to go out among wolves. Just a, a sidebar, not to take away. We talked about, we, I'm glad we started at Timothy 3.16, because he's talking about the Scripture. And we go back and we just got a lot of lessons on the minor prophets. What would they say? God came to him in a dream. God told me to go out and say this. Where the change in the New Testament is, I'm not going to come to you in a dream and tell you this. I'm going to deliver it to you directly. When they got up and preached the first sermon, people were amazed. There was no preparation. There was no nighttime visions. Peter and the men got up and spoke in the languages that needed to be here. And the Spirit of God moved each man as he went out and preached what those people needed to hear. That's the change, a little change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. A very good point. I mean, I, I doubt, do you think Don Peter knew that he was going to do what he did that day? <laughs> Peter didn't have a clue. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have a clue. He did not have a clue. <laughs> So God, you know, again, here's a good example of inspiration where God is giving these men being sent out by Christ um, to, to, to have the words that they're going to need. And so God Himself provides the words to be used by such men, such men as the apostles, such men as these. I just finished reading a book about William Tyndall. And I know Mitch probably touched on William Tyndall. The man who took an English version, but it was using the Greek. And I tell you, if you read Greek with true English translation, you'll be baffled because it is as clear as mud, right, Don? William Tyndall took that. And I do think he was an inspired man. He took that, and we have what we have before us today because of William Tyndall. But what did it cost William Tyndall to do what he did? It cost him his life. It cost him his life. He was dedicated to the purpose of what he did, and we are true beneficiaries of, of his effort of, of making a Bible that was, one, going to be able to be read and understood by the majority of the people. And who tried to hold that back from happening? Who put William Tyndall to death? The church. The church at that time. Because he was deemed a heretic. Rough times. Rough times. Surely the Apostle Paul was an inspired. A man whom God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, revealed much of his wisdom, who in turn has revealed much to us. In words, 
things that uh, have not entered the heart of man. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-13, through 13, which I had in the material there. Things which the eyes have not seen. If we didn't have this, where would we where would we be? There was a long time in history of mankind they didn't have what we now have the privilege of having. Even in Old Testament times, you think everybody had a copy of the Septuagint in their home? No. Not at all. Things that the eyes have not seen, things that the ear has not heard. I hope that's a piece of scripture that you've read and mulled over. But I want to look at some other verses and discuss them briefly, what they say to us about the Word of God. And we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 119. Verse 11. And this is what my New American Standard Version reads. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Now I'm going to turn the class with you. I want you to discuss that. What does that say to us about the Word of God? Precious. Precious. Precious in the writer that wrote this. Something that we hold dear. We keep it with us all the time. It should be something we hold dear. Something that we do all the time. But I'm going to ask a Brian question. <clears throat> Why? Don? When you look at David, by the time he wrote this, he, he was a whole lot smarter than he was in his younger days. Yes. <laughs> when he first went sent people out to bring the ark to Jerusalem, he sent them out the wrong way. And it wound up getting Uriah killed. The law said when, when you appoint a king, he will write a copy of the scriptures. He will write a copy of my law. He will keep it with him. He will meditate upon it daily so that he will not sin against me. After Uriah's death, David did that. And you can see the results. The ark came down by the, by the Kothites the way it was supposed to, and everything worked great. So by the time he's writing Psalm 119, he has treasured in his heart the Word of God, and it has worked for him. In what way has it worked for him? Why does he want it to work for him? What does that verse say? That I may not sin against you. Now turn that around to applicability to you. What does it say? 
want to kind of go back to when we were talking about that the Word of God is, the inspiration of God is God's breath. Go all the way back to Genesis. We are full of God's breath. Like, God breathes life into us. And so I feel that we have God in us. We, 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 when we do what He says and follow His will, and in, His Word is in our heart, we don't want to be separated from Him. His sin separates us from God. Like, so it, it's a pull. I don't want to be separated from Him. That's why I want God's Word in my heart. Good. Jude 24, Jude wrote, now to him who is able, that's Christ, to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and with exceeding glory. To keep me from stumbling so he may present me. If I don't know what I'm stumbling about, I'll have no clue. Uh, there were, as we've used the example of Matthew, Lord, Lord, did we not? But the did we not is why, how, and we look. So when we're looking at Christ and how he treated, how God treated people in the Old Testament as an example, how Christ gives us of those stumblings, we put it all together and we get what we just read, every good work is contained. Good point. It gives me confidence to have God's Word to instruct us. Um, we're not judging the world. <laughs> if it's found in God's Word, it's God's judgment. So it gives me confidence to speak those words. Understood. Good statement. Yeah. Well, it wasn't <laughs> vital, but in, in the, the New King James Version, it says, your word I have hidden. And, and your version is so treasure, more up trick, <laughs> Treasure. Has anybody got any different word in a translation? English says stored. Stored. Yeah, but treasure has a higher, a higher meaning, meaning than hidden. hidden. Yeah, know? hidden. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you, if you treasure something in your heart, and if it's God's word, then it, it also keeps it fresh in our minds. It keeps us from wandering to other things. It goes back to that question I stand at start. What value have you placed on this? You know, the idea of, of treasuring his word. When, when I look at inspiration, there, there's two thoughts about God. Number one, is there a God? The heavens declare his glory. You can look at nature and see that there is a creator, and that creator is God. What's he want us to do? We cannot know what to do and how to live unless he tells us. The method he has chosen to tell us how to live is the word that he has given to us. I, I agree. And that is a word that is spoken just as clearly from God as it was uh, recorded in Exodus chapter 20, which, if we can go back to the sermon this morning, the, the stated why all of these laws from Exodus through Deuteronomy are there is because I brought you out of Egypt. I am the protector, defender, and, and the, your maker. And therefore, do these things. And we can see the same thing. Yes, there is a God. Nature proves there is a God. But we don't know how to act and react unless we have 
his specific instructions. Well said. He gave us a breath of life, and now that you're breathing, here's how I want you to live that life that requires That's our that, instruction that, that right breathing. Yeah, exactly. Now look over at uh, verse 105 of the 119th Psalm. <laughs> 105th verse of the 119th Psalm reads, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. <coughs> Do we live in a dark world? Yeah. Is the world dark? Yeah. When we're in the dark, are we comfortable there? I'm not. <laughs> to dispel that darkness, you need what? Light. So if life is dark, if the world is dark, then God's word is the light. Now, we have the light. What is else? What's the importance of that light implied in that verse? Why do we need the light? I'm looking for a P word in that verse. What are we to find? A path. A path. A path leads to something, does it not? I mean, it has a purpose, otherwise, what's the purpose of the path? It, it'll take you somewhere. But we need that light to see the path. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. Look over at Proverbs. I knew we weren't going to get through all this, and that's why I encourage you to read the material, because there's no way that I can, and I even know what I'm looking at now, is not stuff that was listed. I figured it would stir up um, some discussion to get us to understand about inspiration. Proverbs chapter 30. <coughs> and we're going to read there verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, or He will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Well, what does that say to us about the Word of God? New King James says pure, so I think it's kind of cool that they use test and pure as if putting it through a fire and testing it and purifying it and everything. So his, his word has been tested and made pure and is perfect. I like that no idea of pure too because if it's not pure, it's what? Not perfect. It's contaminated. And so what's the contamination that can come and destroy the purity of God's word? Yeah. Anybody coming along and adding to this? Do we have functions in the world today that have added to this? Yeah, surely have. And how arrogant that is to think that you can improve on God's work. Yeah, that's a good word, arrogant. <laughs> Look over at John chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 67 through 69. 
Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, And Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What's, what jumps out at you in those verses? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? <clears throat> and why wouldn't, why shouldn't we separate ourselves from Christ? He has the words of life, eternal life, words of eternal life. That's what jumps out at me is he has the words of eternal life. Turn over to Hebrews now. Chapter 4, and we've been looking at verse 12. And sometimes these are verses that we're all familiar with, but sometimes we just don't look at them individually. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Is that an inspired verse? <laughs> Man does not think like that. I can assure you of that. The Word of God is living. It still lives today. It's active today as long as we do not, you know, snuff it out. But the fact that it's sharp can cut soul and spirit. I don't know how fine that is, but it seems fine to me. And the fact that it can judge our thoughts and our intentions of what? Our hearts. Is, Don, how long have you been married? I think you've probably been married longer oh, than any of us. Fifty-two. Does, well, your, does your wife know your every in, uh, thought and intention of your heart? She probably didn't have a clue with some of them. <laughs> 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 the fact is, even the, the ones that we're the closest with don't know all of our thoughts and intentions of the heart. But God's Word does reveal those kinds of things to us, so it does become personal. Well, I was hoping we could have gotten a little further, but I hope you enjoyed the discussion and the thoughts that we've, we've had today. And don't forget to pick up next Sunday's lesson right here.